welcome back to the Pilgrims Podcast and welcome back to part two. In this part, we'll be looking at Derek's last two years at Argyle, which was certainly very eventful. That incredible first season back in League One, which saw us just falling short of the playoffs after an amazing run. And then that ill-fated season, which saw Argyle being relegated to League Two and Derek Adams losing his job. We'll also be touching on Derek's life post-Argyle. There's a lot to get through, so sit back and enjoy part two. Okay, welcome back to part two. We're now in the summer of 2017. Dust has settled on the promotion win. And um, we're fighting to keep a hold of Graham Carey and rumours start linking Derek Adams to the potentially vacant Aberdeen job, I believe. I was in Aberdeen at the time and Derek McInnes, who was um, a bit of a hero up in Aberdeen, was being heavily linked or more than heavily linked. He was in the building at Sunderland. Thus, the Aberdeen job looked like it was going to become free. Derek, was that something you were aware of back in that summer? Yeah, I mean, I was aware of it. Um, I mean. Every time the Aberdeen job does come up, then I'm always linked to it because yeah. of, of my past history being there. And mm. um, there's no doubt one day that I would I would love to manage the football club if the opportunity came along. Um, mm. In that summer, I had no aspirations to move back. Um, we had just been promoted out of League Two into League One, and uh, I was looking forward to you know starting in League One again. Graham Carey was very similar. Um, he had really good opportunities to move on for good money. And um, I decided that we had to make him the best offer that we possibly could because I thought he was vital to the way that we played. I think the supporters took to him, they loved watching him. And eventually we kept him for a further two seasons. And it was a long process from memory. I can remember the uh, the Twitter announcement. Wasn't it on the day, the first day back of pre-season? I mean, I assume you probably were a bit more in the loop than, than I was as a fan on Twitter, but I think it was officially announced on the first day back or the day before, at least very close to that kind of time. It probably took that long. Um, you right. know, I had a lot of negotiating to do with, right. with Graham and the agent because he had good offers elsewhere. But I had to say to him, listen, You've got to understand that I know you as a player. You're going into League One. I can take you to the next level. We we had to make him an offer that was right for him. And that was probably part of the problem we had as well with some of the other players because they were wanting similar deals to to him. But he was a star player. He was creating and scoring goals. And um, I just felt that uh, he was he was so important to us. Remember your point about the uh, one and two year deals and why that works for you, Derek. It must be occasionally frustrating, although it's par for the course, I suppose, where a player's done well off of perhaps your faith in them and what you've done with them, and then they come back and say, "Thanks, Gaffer, can I have more money, please?" Yeah, <laughs> but, but that's the risk that I take, and and I always be open to a player when I sign them. Come here, do well uh, for us this season, and if you move on, you move on because you've done well and. If we get the points on the board, we get promotion, we, we win football matches and we can't match what somebody else can, then that's sometimes going to happen. But, you know, one and two year deals is probably at this level the range that I think you should offer. I remember it being one of those rare things in Plymouth Argyle, which is when it's announced half the city hasn't been leaked to the news already. 
So it was warmly received. If you're that late bringing a key player or securing a key player, Derek, how does that impact your prep for the season? And obviously you'll recall that season took a while to get going, the, the first League One season. Yeah, I mean, I did probably sign Lemires and the possibility that Graham Carey might not stay. I thought that he could do a similar job to him. And then, as everyone knows, then I had to try and fit them into the same team when Graham Carey signed. And uh, that wasn't always easy. Eventually, we did. Ruben, at the start, wasn't the player that he was at the end. Uh, Mm. He didn't understand the tactical side of the game, the defensive side of the game, but he understood going forward. But he was causing us, you know, some issues uh, in that way. But I was able then to to coach him, speak to him, and uh, eventually we came to a good common ground that we knew that we, we, we both could work together. I mean, Ruben Lemiris is quite symbolic of Argyle's season, really, isn't it? Because he had, I mean, he was, he was essentially not present for those early months. You could say the same for Argyle, really. I mean, we had just everything that could go wrong kind of did in terms of red cards, goalkeepers. I mean, as a manager, you must be thinking, like, what have I done to deserve this kind of bad luck? Yeah, I mean, our first win was in the second game of the season was against uh, Charlton Athletic, you know, 2-0. Mm. But then mm. we struggled after that. I think we had seven games where we had something either happened to us, we had a player sent off or penalty kick given away. And what I did have at that moment in time was a very strong chairman that believed in me, believed in my system and supported me in James Brent. And probably not just him, the supporters. I think the supporters didn't turn in a way they could have. They they stuck with us. They saw... We were probably unfortunate at times. Yeah, um, I think it was five red cards, wasn't it? Yeah. In yeah, in the first ten or so games, and that's still less than the number of goalkeepers we'd had right up until that draw at Blackburn. That was the one I can remember that draw very well, and I, I saw enough that day to know we'd be okay. Obviously, I didn't think that we'd be challenging for the playoffs, but we ended up doing it, and that culminated with a uh, debut for Michael Cooper as well that day, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Graham Carey scored an unbelievable goal that night. Uh, I remember it well, Tuesday night, and um, Carl Lethran pulled his thigh, probably in about the 35th minute. And I said to them, you better get Michael Cooper ready. And Michael came on, made his debut, and made two fantastic saves on the day. And we were able to get that 1-1 draw. And we kicked on from there. We only lost three games in uh, was it about 18 games or something like mm-hmm. that, maybe more. You know, we were bottom of the league and then eventually, you know, finished uh, in seventh position. And Mark, I'm sure Mike Cooper is a man you'd like to spend a minute or two on. Yeah, I'd just uh, like to ask Derek, how far do you think Michael Cooper can go in the game? I thought he'd have moved on by now to to another club, uh, if I'm being honest. I thought that Argyle might have cashed in on him and uh, taken the money. Similar to maybe you know Luke Jack caught when when we gave him his debut and then he did well and scored all the goals, because sometimes you have to take the value in the player and then take someone in and use that money elsewhere. But um, he's done ever so well to to play as many games as he has. He um, is built up. His dad was always a or is sorry a, a big guy, you know, six foot odd. Michael's become similar to him, strong shoulders. There was always doubts on his height, but he has improved with his feet. His shot stalking was always uh, excellent. That was never a problem. Cross balls, 
could have been an issue. But what he's done is he's improved his game and uh, been one of the best young goalkeepers in the country for them. Looking at that time, we started to pick up these important um, points. And one game, I mean, it's totally selfish because I was there and I still remember it as being one of my best ever Argyle away days. And there's something about an away day win which can't really be matched at home. Was that 1-0 away at Bradford? I don't know. I think I hope you. I'm sure you do remember because it, it was quite the day, and they were flying at the time, and we weren't really. We were just kind of coming out of that sticky period, and we scored relatively late on. But then we saved a penalty with whatever our tenth goalkeeper of the season, whoever it was then, and um, it was just it had everything you want as a fan from an away day. Yeah, I think it was, it was Sarsovic that scored the goal to make it one nil, and. Um... No, that was at home, sorry. That was a Plymouth. Uh, Jervis, I think, maybe. Jervis, yeah. Jervis, yes. Uh, Tappen, I think, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but uh, as you know, going to Bradford, it's always a big crowd and atmosphere. And uh, we went there and upset them. And, and as you're right, they were, were going well at the time. And I think we had seven goalkeepers in that season uh, because you could use that seven-day loan period. And if I didn't fancy a goalkeeper... Then I would use another goalkeeper for the next seven days. If I didn't fancy him, I would go and get another one. So that was the the the, the rules of the competition. Yeah, it was that was that was something we were trying to name them the other day. It was it was quite hard, I must say. I seem to remember Remy like players. Matthews at Bradford. Remy, Remy Matthews. Matthews. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we had Remy Matthews with Kel Roos, who's now at, uh, at Aberdeen. Will Mannion now at uh, at Cambridge. Yeah, yeah. Lethbridge yeah. Cooper. Um, was that the year Luke Walton came in as well? I can't remember. Yeah, Luke McCormack, yeah, I think you're about right. Yes, it will be. Yeah. So then we go from grinding out these wins to then, and you've alluded to it briefly before, to then going on this incredible run where we beat, I think they were top at the time, Blackburn Rovers at home. And we were just in this form where we felt invincible. I mean, how did you feel as a coach during that time? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, the Blackburn game, you know, to win 2-0 at home was a, a, a fantastic game for, for everyone. Lemire scored, Taylor scored. It was just, you know, being at home against Blackburn Rovers, who had been in the Premier League, had won the Premier mm-hmm. League, you know, a number of seasons ago. The atmosphere, you know, was very good as well. Uh, we had a huge backing, and, and that day was 11,000, you know, the, the crowds were, were going up. And to beat Blackburn, it just gave us extra confidence going into the remaining games. That run-in was sensational, Derek. I felt invincible from sort of February onwards up until... I'm thinking about the Peterborough game at home, Rotherham beating them at home. They were really tough games, played well, but, but, but without dominating. But it felt like we'd beat anybody. And it just We seemed to get late winners or late penalties everywhere. It felt really, really good, like we were going to sneak into those playoffs. I mean, I, I agree. We just kept on going. You know, We went to Oxford and scored as well. And I think that the Oxford game was when we went to Marbella again uh, after that game. I think Sonia Bradley scored uh, in that game uh, with a header and we yeah. flew out to Marbella the next morning. So these were all things that I thought uh, could improve us. And the next game we came back, we beat Bradford at home 1-0. So we had a team spirit, a work ethic, and I always took the, the players away for that winter break for the new players to come in to get to know each other. So we had three or four days away and quite quickly that team spirit comes in and it worked well for us, you know, good through that season. Seemed to give you extra currency because the legs went, you know, we were low on numbers and there were injuries and bodies were falling. It felt like the fatigue just caught up. I think we went to Rochdale, got a draw. We had that Rotherham game at home, which was sensational. Got the late winner, Jan Songo coming on doing Superman headers. 
again, we the odds were stacked against us going into that Scunthorpe game. That felt like a cup final. It did. And um, I remember the Rotherham game, Carey scored a, a penalty uh, in the 90-odd minute uh, of the mm. game. And the place just erupted. And we did think that we would have an opportunity of going to Scunthorpe and winning. But what happened was it was a Tuesday night game, I think. I think that game might have been rearranged for Sky. Oh, well, Derek, I, I can jump in there. It wasn't. Yeah. And I'm still annoyed it about it five years anyway. later. It was um, it was rained off and oh, we were flying. At, it was the Easter yeah. weekend. And I'm not to get too tinfoil hatty, but like you knew two days in advance there was going to be lots of rain and then no covers came on. And the night before it was peeing down, no covers. And oh. then shock horror two hours before the game it's postponed. And they were n- not in a good way then, Scunthorpe, compared to us. We were flying. And then whatever, you know, six weeks later, kind of rolls reverse a bit. We were, you know, out on our legs, really. There was injuries galore. And it's always stuck with me that it really, <laughs> it really annoyed me. Yeah, I remember uh, that game being postponed because I went down to the pitch. And there was water on the pitch. Would I say that it, could have been, it should have been postponed? Probably not. And uh, you're right, it, it went to that Tuesday night. And it just didn't go well for us. We didn't play well enough. And it probably did catch up with us in the end. I seem to remember we had to throw Jan and maybe Alex Fletcher up front while they had Ivan Tony. So just, yeah, just a little short-staffed for the running. We, we, we ran out of players and, um, listen, I, I'm disappointed that we didn't get into to the playoffs uh, that season. There's probably a couple of other things that, that I can't share with you might be reason why we didn't uh, get into or maybe push on the way we could have, but... Um, that's probably for another day. At the end of that season, and I, th- I'm, I believe I'm right in saying this, you sign a new contract and it looks for all intents and purposes that you're there for the long haul and you've had three fantastic seasons with us. I mean, obviously that ended in disappointment, that playoff run, but I think no fan or no real fan was disappointed. You know, we realised what an achievement that was. And as Tom kind of alluded to, it was it was moment after moment after moment. I'm aware I said that promotion campaign, which ended at Grimsby, possibly wasn't like that. But the following season, it was every game was almost iconic with those late victories against Rotherham and Peterborough and so on. Point being, you know, your currency's high at that point and it looks like you're there for the long haul. Was that your feeling as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I signed a five-year contract um, and I took probably extra responsibility over as well. I became head of football to look at all things football-wise. The stadium, the main stand, was getting redeveloped. We moved into, not an office, we moved into a container for our office uh, in the car park. We moved into a tent for eating facilities. The changing rooms were another portal cabin down somewhere else. Then we had offices that were further uptown. So we had people all over the place. and. The first morning I went back in uh, from my summer holidays and I looked at the, the container, and it was a container. It wasn't an office. It was a container that we were stuck in. That day, I should have put my foot down and said, this is not acceptable. The way things that were structured should have been done in a different way because as a football club, we had just come from being all together to then being all over the place. And I think that that didn't help us at the start of the season. It didn't help the players, uh, certainly, uh, because we were having blowers and heaters uh, in the the tent throughout the season to keep us warm. Uh, It was just a difficult time to to start the new campaign in League One. 
I understand we had to build the, the new stand. Just felt that we could probably could have done things a wee bit better off the field to, to help us. Uh, you speak about that new stand, and I couldn't find the, the exact quote. So if I'm wrong here, please forgive me. I believe that you were quite instrumental in its layout and design, at least the changing rooms. Am I right in saying that? I, I, I was I was asked uh, right. my okay. opinion on okay. everything. Um, no. We had to work within the dimensions that were given. So we had to fit in everything in a, a small scale. I did ask for a lot more than was put in there. If you go into the changing rooms, the changing rooms are not big, but that was the, the area that we were working with at that moment in time. And costs, we couldn't do any more. Um, the costs were all there in the build, and the football club didn't have the money to improve it. You know, James Brent was building it to the amount of money that he could afford and people could afford along the way. Simon Hallett came in, and if it had been done in a different way, then Simon Hallett had the money, then the stand would have been built in a different way. There's no doubt about that. But we had to do something to change the stand at that moment in time. Nobody was coming in with the money at that moment in time. Later on, Simon Hallett did. But I'm sure many things would have been done differently if we had the money to do it. So it doesn't sound like ideal preparation, does it, for an upcoming season, all of that? It w- it wasn't ideal, and um, you know I I look back on it and think that um, it didn't help us. We did struggle at the start of the season. You know, eventually we didn't get going until we beat uh, Wimbledon one uh, 0 Yeah, um, I mean you've alluded to it in the first part of our pod here, and it got it quickly got quite toxic, not just with yourself but as a fan base. I think um, mistakes were made as well in the transfer market. Um, We went for a younger squad. We signed a number of players that had been in the Premier League academies and took them in. And probably that was a mistake. Um, We thought that we would have an experienced player as a left-back, right-back, say, centre-half, and then have a younger one behind it. But the younger ones weren't able to perform at that level. and. it wasn't just all off the field, on the field. Um, we didn't get the right balance in the team for the start of that season. Yeah, bow to your knowledge on abilities there, Derek, but the previous year we talked about how the team spirit carried the team even when the legs had gone. There was still a possibility in the playoffs, even though we probably had no right to be there with the players we had and the fatigue that we'd suffered. But in that season, you say the recruitment, is that down to personalities and motivations yeah of course I think that you know we took in you know a a lot of players that had academy backgrounds uh, higher up the scale hadn't played a lot of league one or league two football and we were taking a risk on it we thought that there would be players that we could eventually get into the first team maybe move on for money it didn't work out that way and in the end we had to change things you know, about again, team-wise. And eventually we got going in that season. You know, we went to at home and beat Oxford 3-0 and then we were on a, a decent run, picking up 15 points, I think it was. So we did turn things around quite a bit in that season. But the damage had been done at the start and we had obviously problems with a few supporters. I would say, you know, there, there wasn't a, a lot of negativity, you know, we just wanted to become better. And I was no different to that as well. I probably 
put barriers up to protect the players, the football club, the team. The supporters probably think that I should have been hammering the players or myself or, and taking the blame, which is which is fair. Uh, and we didn't get things right at the start of the season. We haven't changed, by the way, sorry, as a fan base. Like last night, there's a great footage of before we scored to go 1-0 up, and it's from our fans and all it is is a group of people going, why is he taking it? And then brilliantly, someone starts whistling for half-time. Like, get on with it. And you're like, yeah. we, we got a free kick from 20 yards out. I never... There's a little bit of Plymouth in the Plymouth fan base, I guess is what I'm saying. We're never happy than when we're miserable. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I mean, you know, it's a beautiful part of the country. I miss it every day. I miss the football club. I miss the people. To see, you know, how it's moved on, it's been fantastic. You have got a magnificent support. Going away from home was like playing at home at times. It was unbelievable. You know, the chanting, the the, the day we go and win games, because we were winning games, it, it, it was fantastic. And that season, you know, where did it go wrong in that season was, I mean, I look at the Bristol Rovers game at home. We were 2-1 up. We lose a goal in the last minute of the game to make it 2-1. We then go to Blackpool, 2-0 mm. up, and they scored two goals in 90 minutes. We would have been on 54 points. Game done. Stayed in the division. But Bristol Rovers, the game hit us. The Blackpool game away from home really hit us. But then the run-in was Charlton. We had to play Doncaster Rovers, who were up there. We had to play Gillingham, Barnsley. It wasn't an easy run-in. Yeah, that Blackpool game was the real one for me. They, yeah. were, they weren't just two goals, they were two worldy goals out of, yeah, I mean, out of the blue. A centre-half came up and he, and he scored one. I mean, one went in the bottom left-hand corner, he swung it into the left-hand corner, and I think it was an overhead kick. And that was the, the two games that changed my time You know, at, at Plymouth Argyle. And sometimes you, you can't get it back. We only needed you know, four points from the remaining games to be uh, in that division and we weren't able to, to, to do it. Derek, there's something I'd like to touch on. It's interesting because over your time, as your career as a manager, it's changed a lot, is that idea of how a manager should deal with his players. Case in point being the Fergie hairdryer treatment is no longer seen as in, you know, and with mental health coming to the, to the fore, rightly so, it's, um, you know, what's seen as acceptable has changed. However, what hasn't changed is managers like yourself getting absolute pelters of of abuse. I mean, that how how do you find that? Because I can't relate to it. You know, I've obviously I've had bad comments thrown at me every now and again, but to have thousands or a group of people, and you've got to ha- keep this professional I, mantra going. How, th- do, how do you do, how do you tackle that? I don't think it's myself as the person. It's not me. It doesn't affect me. Right. It affects your family. Mm. I can handle it. I could handle nearly anything. But when your family are in the, the stand and people are showing abuse uh, at me or then they turn on your family, that's that's probably the hardest thing uh, as mm. a football manager. And any football manager, it doesn't, at any football club, it happens, but that's probably the hardest thing for us all. Mm. Derek, you spoke about putting out a barrier to protect your players and you've spoken about the faith that you put in players when you give them contracts and you ask them to perform and you reward them. 
my gut feel is in that moment, maybe those last few games, you needed a little back. Did you get yeah. it? Um, I didn't think I, I can. I I didn't see the game at Atkinson Stanley coming. I didn't see it. I didn't feel it. Did they down tools? Um, no, I did not see that. Um, the Accenton Stanley game. I made two decisions before the game. I didn't play Freddy Ladapo and I didn't play Lemires. And why was that? Um, I didn't think Accenton Stanley was the place for them on that day. Mm. Um, I thought it was going to be a physical game. It was going to be a fast game, and it certainly was a fast game because we lost quick goals. Uh, you know, they got a penalty kick. Uh, I think somebody went off injured as well. And then it just went downhill from there. And the supporters obviously turned on myself uh, quite quickly in that game. And there was no way back for me because I, after the game, decided not to do the media. And the reason I decided not to do the media was me standing there saying sorry, me standing there explaining anything, it isn't going to matter. The game's done. This is my view. I'm not sure what it is from a supporter's view, but me standing there making a point in case and, and trying to make an excuse wasn't going to wash with anyone. And um, eventually, you know, my time at a girl after that game, you know, went and the abuse I got, listen, I, I didn't deserve the abuse of that day. But I understand the feelings of the supporters because of the feelings of the supporters, they wanted and needed, you know, their football club to win that day or take a point. I mean, as a fan, it felt like a, it felt like a really, really sad moment. If I'm being honest, to watch you going off and the team trudging off after that defeat, and the fans saying what they did, and you saw this really iconic team with you, quite an iconic Argyle manager. Mm. That's okay to say, and Kerry and Lemires. And all these players had been with you for most of that time, and it felt like yeah. it was all ending in tears, and that was a shame. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree, and I think you know, looking back to that Bristol Rovers game, the Blackpool game, if we had just been able to hold out, things would have been, I think, so different. Not only just for myself, but for some of that players, they, they might have stayed on at Plymouth Argyle, um, but on that walk from the dugout straight down to the the dressing room and you know some Argyle fans trying to get over that fence and to get to you wasn't pleasant but listen I, I'm the, I was the Argyle manager and you've got to take the good uh, with the bad at times I mean you've spoken a lot about ifs buts and you know what could have been do you ever think about what could have happened if on that day Argyle do turn up the players do perform I mean, yeah, I mean you personally we, we, as much as anyone we we needed a point and um, right. if we had got a point and, and you know well, four points from the last eight games sorry seven games or so then we would have still been in the division and mm. I, I don't see how we could have changed anything in the background I know there was a number of issues um, because players were possibly going to leave in the summer um, I had an issue uh, in the probably January transfer window where one player was due to, to leave to a championship club and I did stop it because I thought it was too important to the team at that moment in time. Mm. Um, but 
listen, my first job is to look after the football club I'm at. And my first job was to look after Plymouth Agile Football Club. And that's what I always say. I look after the football club as if it's my own. And um, that's what I tried to do for, the, you know, Plymouth Agile every time I spoke. And uh, fought the corner. Say so what could have been, Archie, by the way. I mean, there's a, there's a, some people on the northwest coast of England who are very happy that it happened because you went on to get promotion there with Morecambe Football Club with one of the lowest, I mean, t- say you, I take your point earlier that it's not all about the money, but that achievement to get that promotion was is phenomenal. And if anybody was in any doubt, I've never had any doubt that you don't know your onions, sir. I mean, that's, that's you know, that, that CV you've got now is is impeccable in terms of achievement, often against the odds. You you, you should be hella proud of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, going into Plymouth Gale at that stage when I did go in and, the way the football club was, and I said I was the right person at the right time for the football club. The football club moves on. Someone else comes in, um, either uses it to to step on to another football club, uh, or um, you know get them you know promoted out of that division into a next division. And eventually, I went to, to Morecambe, and we got promoted, you know, from League Two into League One. And and as you say, um, you've got to understand the football club you're in at that moment in time. I understand Morecambe Football Club. I understood uh, Plymouth Agile Football Club, where they were. I went to supporters events all over the country, uh, down to the deepest, darkest Cornwall. I understand that they wanted to be in the Premier League and want to be in the Premier League because it's the only city that hasn't been in the Premier League. I got it all. I knew what it was, and I try to do that when I go to any football club. Understand the fan base. Understand what they they want. Not always speak uh, in the against. I would never speak about the players in, in a, a derogatory way. Yes, maybe once or twice I've I've said something about a player, but I'm there to protect my football club and my team. Derek, it's really interesting the terminology you use when you you talk about my football club and. It's interesting you quoted yourself there referring to how you look after the football club. That's your main purpose or how you see yourself as looking after the club, improving the state of the club. And when you say you treat it like it's your own and looking at, you know, Ross County, Argyle, when you leave, is that not quite a hard transition when you're treating it, like you say, as your own and you've put so much energy into it, both, you know, big stints at Ross County and Argyle, especially in today's climate. How do you transition out of that? How do you move on? That's probably been my greatest strength and my greatest fault. And that's probably why I have um, stayed at football clubs uh, the length of time that I have. Mm-hmm. I've worked well with chairman. I haven't been a manager that's wanted to move on when he could have. Um, and should I be a manager higher up the leagues? Is that an ego thing saying that? not caring if it is I should be but I look after the football club the chairman know how well I look after their football club I had this football club take me back I went to Ross County twice that tells you something that you've got as a person as a character Mm. would Simon Hallett take me back yeah I would say he would would some of the supporter base at Plymouth Agile they probably would would some of them no they wouldn't but what I would say is when you take on a football club, 
I take it on to look after it and treat it as my own. And I did that at Plymouth Agel. To stay there for four years, it's unheard of nowadays. Mm. Um, Just <clears throat> someone on a, one of our previous ones of these like, said about managers, there's no, almost universally, no good way to leave. You either leave because of a perceived or actual failure or your head hunted to go. So the fan base almost universally is either is disappointed in, in one way or another. Yeah, Derek, I have to ask at this stage, I mean, why do you think it didn't work out at Bradford for you? Wow. Where do you start there? Um, I'll tell you, Bradford City um, has got the, one of the biggest supporters base. It has the biggest supporters base uh, uh, in the league. Um, it's one of the smallest clubs inside in the league. It's got no structure, no um, idea on its way out. Doesn't own its stadium. Doesn't own its training ground, and um, has no foundation to it. I, like many managers, think they can go there and change it. I, I thought I could. I probably could have. The problem is that you've got to keep the supporters on side for long enough. I didn't win enough home games at the time. We drew too many home games, and I still think that. I'd have got them in the playoffs that season. Probably uh, got them out. That's me saying that. Um, but what did I do wrong? I probably was too honest. Um, I didn't do what Bradford City's Twitter account says every time they get beat. Sorry, supporters. I didn't say that enough. It, as I got referring to that, you know, I, I mentioned it a while ago now, that away day, it was um, having never been there before or since. It was an odd, odd ground. I mean, in some ways it feels huge and quite impressive and intimidating. And that walk up through the curry mile to the stadium was great. I mean, I'm a big fan of curry. Um, point being, it felt like that sleeping giant, but it also reminded me of Argyle in many ways that it didn't half need a lick of paint, metaphorically and literally. Yeah, I mean, to be fair um, to the CEO who's going in, um, Ryan Sparks, he has spent money, or the club's money, you know, getting new seats for the stadium. They're, right. they're doing that. They have to spend 500000 rent on rent each year just to start the season. They then have to do all the maintenance on that stadium as well. Not easy. But the best advice that I could give to a Bradford City supporter is support your manager through thick and thin and eventually you might get through that but it's not just the manager the CEO or the board of directors if you've got 20 managers over 20 years your recruitment process or the people at the top there's got to be something wrong somewhere okay I feel like that's probably the perfect place to leave things. We'll be uh, keeping a close eye on you and your Morgan team, Derek, as you progress through the League Two season. Uh, before we say our goodbyes, has anyone got any more questions for Derek? I got, I got one, Archie. Because we've got Scott in the house. Derek, Scotland doing very well at the moment. Don't know if you're following Ryan Hardy, but uh, are the fans kind of got their eye on him for a call up? The standard's quite high at the minute, I must say. Yeah, I mean, I've watched Ryan Hardy since he was a, a, a Rangers as a youngster, and um, we, I mean, I had an opportunity to sign him here when I was at Morecambe 
uh, yeah, the first time, and um, when he was at Blackpool on loan, and and Ryan has developed into a really talented player. He's quick. He's always had an eye for goal. Um, if he keeps on scoring goals in the championship, then you know Steve Clark's got to to have an eye on him. Um, but he has got decent competition up there for Scotland at this moment in time. I watched Adams last night for Southampton. His movement's very good as well. So, um, But if he keeps on going, London Dykes is ahead of him. You never know. You never know. He feels a bit of an impact player. Even now, is, is Ryan is, we'll be aware of Ryan's shortcomings, but what Ryan's really good at, he's better at than, than most. And he would terrify a Premier League defence, and I have seen that. Yeah, he does play on the shoulder, you know, and um, when he plays on the shoulder of defenders, you've got a problem because he'll either, he'll get, get in behind you, he'll time his run well, and what he does, as you saw last night, he can strike a ball very well. Sorry, the important bit there I had, Mark, which I didn't finish, was, Derek, if you could pick up some uh, a pub from off the barbican and move it to Morecambe, which one are you taking with you? Well, I don't drink, so uh, I'm not going to take any of them with me, but um, <laughs> I miss it to this day. I miss seeing the water, I miss seeing everything that, that went on in that area. The city, the people. Listen, I, I can't be any more complimentary to Plymouth Argyle than I have. It's, it's a lovely football club. It's a football club that deserves to be in the Championship and one day, hopefully, it can get to the Premier League. But um, for four years I was there, I thank James Brent for taking me there and did they make the right decision at the right time? They probably did. And they've moved on and, and done really well. We'll take Captain Jaspers as an answer as you're not drinking. Fair enough. <laughs> My question was, Derek, you, your best ever Argo signing that's not Graham Carey? Oh. Um, I, I loved Sarsovich because he played in a similar position to me. His goal scoring running some midfield uh, were always good. So, you know, Sarsovic has is, got to be up there. But Jake Jarvis as well, you know, a top mm. player in my time for us. And, and that's what I keep on going back to. You know, we signed players that I thought could help the team at that moment in time. I didn't have the opportunity to have loads of money to go and get the best players. I took in players that I thought I could develop. And as, as Andy Sarsovic would say, he had fallen out of love with the game until he got to have a go. All right, Derek, we um, really will leave things there. I I can't thank you enough, to be honest, for your time and your honesty over the last two yeah two hours. It's been really, really fascinating to speak to you. No, thank you for your time. I'd like to just say thank you for everyone that helped me uh, at Plymouth Argyle, you know, from the community to, to the reserves, to the academy to the backroom staff, to supporters. I still, you know, Plymouth Agile supporters still contact me, still speak to me. Um, and the reception I get when I go there is fantastic. I, I just wish that uh, it could have ended in a better way, but sometimes that's not to be. Mm, absolutely. And, uh, and a chance to uh, beat AFC Wimbledon at the weekend. Very best luck with that for obvious reasons. Thank you very much, yes. <laughs> No work in Fenway. No, it's great, Derek. Really appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, you. all the best for the rest of the season.
Oh, oh, I did have one question actually. Is he a, is he a better journo than is he a better journo than he is a tennis player? That, that I wrote that down. That was my first yeah. question. We need to, to finish fair, that game of tennis. What was that a draw? One one. It was one set all. Yeah, so we need a tiebreak yeah. at least. Yeah, I thought you were too tired to play the third set. <laughs> <laughs> well, Derek, if you follow Scotland, you can, you can come over to Germany next year. Mark and I will be uh, following. You might not know, like who we're following, though. We'll be following England around Germany next summer. Can't well, I might be there myself, so we'll wait and see. There you go. All right. We really, really will leave it here. Thank you Thank ever you. so much for listening, and we'll be back with you very soon. Okay, there we have it. The end of the two-part Derek special. What a treat that was. It was certainly a treat for us to talk to him. Tom, I felt it made for a really interesting listen. Yeah, really enjoyed it, mate. Very frank and very honest from, you know, what's a working manager currently still in professional football with a not a rival club, but another league club and doing very well. His qualities are very evident when speaking to him. Absolutely. And it, I'm really impressed that we got him, to be honest, looking back at it in 2015. This is not, it's a very different Argyle to what we have today for reasons we all know, and I'm not complaining. It's just a fact. It's a different Argyle just finding their feet again. And we go and get a manager who was probably, you know, relatively cheap. We were in for Nathan Jones as well. But he, this is a guy that took Ross County from League Two to the championship, uh, Premiership even, sorry. So it's three promotions with top five finishes. Long story, I mean, you've heard this all before on the pod, of course, but he had a fantastic time up in Scotland. And how the hell that his only option in England was League Two Plymouth, Argyle, is incredible. And I think in today's climate, even in the last five years, He's not, we're not getting him. There's no way we're getting him because now it's in. You know, the likes of Ryan Lowe are getting big jobs at Argyle after one year in League Two. Jack Ross, another Scot, did well with, well, I forget, I think Hamilton. Goes to Sunderland. So I think in today's climate, he's going, he's going to a big hitter with that CV. I don't know. Maybe I'm talking absolute nonsense, Mark, but that's what came across. Yeah, it was um, clear to see that we were very lucky to have him at the time. And he's obviously still doing a good job. A more than good job at Morecambe, you know, on a on a shoestring budget. He got the job at Argo at the time because he could work with a budget. He proved that at Ross County, and he's still doing it now. Alex, um, you obviously weren't with us, unfortunately, but you've listened to the pod. What are your takeaways from it? I think we, as fans and as, as people who sit here and do a podcast and talk about our football club, and it's really easy to forget how much is going on behind the scenes all of these different things that are happening, the context within which a manager's working that we just don't ever hear about until interviews like this further down the road. You know, we're all entitled to our opinion, but always take it with a pinch of salt and and remember that there's so much happening at a personal level for people that we just don't know about. And it's so fascinating to hear about it. And with that hindsight, looking back and actually like perhaps altering your opinions that you formed and developed at the time. So that was really the huge thing for me. Really interesting to get that insight. Um, for those that were there on the call, is there anything you wish you'd have asked them and didn't? Because I've got a wee list. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, but I'll throw the questions to you guys. Chris, is there anything you feel that you would have liked to throw at him? No, nothing I'd like to, I would have thrown at him. But I, what came across is how passionate he is about the game in general. Mm. You know, the references to, and, and actually how, coming back to something you said earlier around how did we get him? I mean, there's a man with a plan, right? I've always wanted to manage in England. So this opportunity came up. I'd looked at it. It was a club that needed turning around. That's what I'm good at. 
Mm-hmm. And I came out of it thinking that he is a, a great example of how a human being can do a great job. And even when he's talking about his weaknesses as well. So I don't think it was anything I'd have asked differently. I was just more quietly blown away by the integrity and the kind of soul of the guy. He was he's, he's very open and honest where it all went wrong, wasn't he? And that was really interesting. And I wasn't sure how he would tackle that, but he was incredibly honest. But talking about essentially the recruitment in the summer of 2018, Sonny Bradley leaves and the players that get in, it essentially wasn't good enough. What was really interesting is that a head of recruitment came in five days before his dismissal. And to me, that just shows that surely the club were planning with Derek in mind for the long term and vice versa. And they were looking to rectify this, those mistakes that had been made in the previous transfer window, the previous summer. So even up to the 11th hour, they're thinking they're working as one, seemingly. So I would have liked to ask them about that. That would have been interesting for me. Yeah, I'd like to go back to that point about Derek. Derek's a one-man job. I mean, Shuey at the moment has the benefit of Neil Jewsnip's experience and, and talent for new players and the scouting system and the stats gurus. Derek was very much a one-man operation, doing a lot of things for the club. He was head of football at the end, but you know, that's a, he had a really all-encompassing job, a really tough job. I think he wanted it that way, though. I think that came across. I think he backed his own judgment. I wonder whether he could work in a structure where it wasn't so reliant on him and it felt like it may have come to an end at some point anyway. Mark, you knew Derek beforehand going into this and you'd spent some time with him in, a, in that preseason at that, of that final season between the two League One campaigns. Yeah, somehow it transpired that Derek asked me to organise a preseason friendly across the Dutch border. I mean, Argo were going to Delden for preseason training. That's what Derek liked doing. Argo had had problems in Delden. There was preseason friendlies cancelled because of a butterfly market and a bike race, if you recall. So somehow he needed help with a friendly in Germany. And it wasn't as easy as I'd hoped because the German, you know, the top flight clubs, you know, it didn't fit in with their calendar. The third and fourth division sides they'd already started their season and they were well well advanced so ended up playing mighty SV Schoenbeck um Michael Cooper played in goal Callum Dyson if you recall him he scored the mm. winner with his head and there was no hint of what would be at the end of that season which ultimately ended in relegation yeah. I think there's a couple of hints there mate Callum Dyson so there's the recruitment on show the manager organising the friendlies. We've moved on a lot since then, and that's not me to dig at Derek. I think it's a different Argo, isn't it? Argyle has changed. What was clear from that was is a very good manager who could do a very good job at most football clubs, but Argyle has evolved substantially to be a club that's not reliant on one very talented individual. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we've we spoke on it or touched it on it in this little um, bookend here several times that we feel he's... Certainly a man of integrity. And I think there's one, that'd be my last thing that I forgot to ask him, was about that situation where he's about to sign for Morecambe first time round and his phone rings and his agent says, call me back ASAP. And he says, hearts want to speak to you. And Derek says, I can't, you know, I've given my word to Morecambe and I've got to do it. I've got to follow it through. Bear in mind, hearts are a huge club. There's a lot of Boxes ticked there for Derek, albeit it was just a job interview. I appreciate that. But he said his reputation would have been tarnished 
you know, and it, that integrity thing seems to be huge for him. And he kept on speaking about my job is to look after your football club, the football club I'm employed to look after. And I really felt like he, and another former Argyle manager once said, if you cut me open, I'll bleed green, which turned out to be nonsense. I think Derek Adams bled green for four years. I think he really looked out of the club's best interests and a man of real integrity. And those are a few lines I would not extend to the current Preston North End manager. <laughs> um, and I'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to hear him talk about the. I mean, he offered up right away about the Yobs comment, but he was misquoted. You know, mm-hmm. let's not get it wrong. He was misquoted and it was used against him for a certain ad- agenda, mm-hmm. as is the way it seems in the current football media environment. Yeah. But mm-hmm. by that stage, things were going a little bit pear shaped. He never really yeah. recovered from that, did he? He never really got the fans back on side because that was... And I agree with you. And he was right. I mean, from memory, he's having stuff thrown at him. Obviously, verbals were being thrown at him. Coins and lighters, possibly. If that d- behaviour is not yobbish, I don't know what, it, what what else to call it. You know what I mean? And what is he meant... To, I don't know what he's meant to say. And I really don't I know. Think, I think you made the point, mate, about his integrity being a, his strength and a weakness because I think sometimes saying what needs to be said isn't the right thing not if you're trying to preserve a managerial career where you're trying to sell tickets and a way of thinking to people i think you say about ross county how how could you how could you sack a manager that took you all that way and he alluded to that you know his self-destruct i didn't want to tackle that anymore and again just for anyone listening for anyone who cares derek didn't ask us to not discuss anything um if we've missed something out that's because you know we've uh, we've bottled it or whatever um but I didn't really want to go into the piss boiling stuff. I'm, I'm, it was, it's funny. I would have liked to maybe ask a little bit about mind games and whether he used that as an advantage. But it was a privilege to talk to him and to tap into someone so knowledgeable about football. You know, I didn't want to talk about algae or you know shithousery things that he said in the press. Really, I mean, it came across a, a, a really humble football man who wants to do well for his football club, um, backing his own judgments. They didn't always work out. But it was interesting to hear some of those challenges he was presented with in that final season as well. Absolutely. I'll be following Morgan with interest now, or slightly added interest. I mean, surely it's a matter of time before he's snapped up by someone bigger, quite frankly, with all respect to Morgan, because his CV is just... Uh, it was only in preparation for this podcast when I knew he was coming on that you, you, know, you delve into the last 20 years of the man and it's like that Ross County thing, like I said, the cup run. Then the three really successful years at Argyle, albeit one relegation there, which is a big stain on his uh, CV. The Bradford experiment, nothing really happened, good or bad, but he did get sacked. And then the Morecambe stuff is just incredible. It is incredible. And he should be he should be boxing at a higher level, really. You, you see, what's his name? at The Luton manager, Edwards. You know, and fair play to him. The cards have fallen really nicely for him, right? Same with Ryan Lowe, probably. The, some, and that's, that's just somehow how life works. The cards fall nicely for you. You get presented with the right opportunities at the right time and you work your way up in whatever profession. And those two are two individuals that jump to mind, especially Edwards at the, in the Premier League. He was manager of Forest Green two years ago. And fair play to him. This is not, a, I'm, not a, I'm not having a go at him now. My point is, Ad, Ad, Derek Adams can easily be sat at home thinking, why am I not there? Because I've achieved 10 times that. And um, I'll be watching with Ernest and great interest where his career takes him. 
because I think he deserves that chance, possibly at Aberdeen. That might, they might provide this, that platform for him to really yeah, hit the big time. Yeah, I have a theory on that, Archie. It's, you know, because it's the way it is. Sometimes the media works, okay? I'll give you The media will concentrate on times when it didn't work for Derek, i.e. Bradford, and ha- suit that agenda. Or the final days at Argyle, and they went down, and Accrington in particular. Or the, if that doesn't work, go back to um, Ross County and all his disciplinary and touchline bands back there. I remember talking to a couple of Scottish journalists at in Munich, you know, about Derek, and they didn't have a very high opinion of him, despite all his successes there, because they were going on about how he was on the touchline and all the, uh, these negatives. So it's there, there seems to be, whenever Derek would be in the line for, for a coaching job, different things be, are often put in the uh, on the table. And uh, he's not just judged on his fo- footballing success. He has this media perception, perception. And, yeah, he's suffered it. That's why he's coaching at Morecambe instead of at a very much higher level, in my opinion. You can go on with your quiz. Um, to cap off this Derek Adams uh, special, if you like, Mark Lovell has put together a week quiz for us, haven't you, Mark? Over to you. Yeah, here we go, gents. Today... We're going to name Argyle's Scottish managers, okay? And if you can't do that, you get two points for an Argyle Scottish manager. If you can't do that, name a non-English manager to stay in the game. So this should be a quick wait, wait, wait. Okay? Scottish manager? What was I got the Scottish manager. Then after that? You get two points for a Scottish manager, but if you can't get a Scottish one, you can have a non-English one to stay in the game. Non-English? This is great. I'm well up for this. This is a finite list, boys. You can have Cornish if you want. (laughs) No, no, no. That would be wrong. Sorry. All right, Archie, Alphabeta, you start. Uh, Okay, I mean, I'm going to use my wild card. I don't know. No, I don't. don't, I'll save that for later. Uh, Bobby Williamson. Scottish. Correct. Derek Adams. Yes. Dave Smith. Well done. Paul Sturrock. So there's there's the easy ones gone. So easy ones gone. uh, Bobby Moncur. There you go. Well done. And then I'm out. I'm I'm struggling. God, is it me? Mm. No idea. Non, really? Non- Not Peter McGreed, Chris. <laughs> I've got one. It's Christmas girl. Give uh, Chris Ryan, Mc- Ryan McLow, uh, John McSheridan. I no. Uh, to stay in the game, you can Ooh. name a. Oh, yeah, yeah. Move on. Yeah, move on. No, no. Say it. Say it. Take the muck oh. out and say it again. Say what? Five, John. four, three, two, one. Buzzer, it's gone. Next. He's out. All right, fair enough. He's out. Oh. John Sheridan. Is he? Oh, I'm done. Yeah. He's Irish. Played for Ireland. World Cup. 
Uh, and got David Frio sent off, but you know. Oh, he did, didn't he? Now, now, well, that, now I'm that, out. Yeah, well, blah, 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 blah. the pride of Newport, Tony Pulis. Oh, I knew it. Oh, for goodness sake. <sighs> Crying out loud. Yeah, sorry, that's me, Tom. Is it? Five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> did Carl Fletcher? That's the quiz. Oh, no, I was just about to say Fletcher. Uh, you're out there. Out. No, oh, we yeah. won't do this. You want me to oh. close with, with a few Scottish managers, or are we finito? Yeah, go back. Although I've got a feeling Bob Jack might have been Scottish, actually. Bob Jack, Scottish, as oh. 1905 to 1906, 1910 How did I forget him? to 1938. He must be the longest serving manager, Bob Jack. What a what a stint! 1910 to 1938. No, one Southern League title, one Third Division South title. How about that for research? <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it's a good thing we didn't get him to do that. That would have been difficult. He might have got one. Do, do ca- caretaker managers count? Yeah. Who was the bloke that? Who Jock. was the bloke? Yeah. Jock. Yeah. After Bobby, who? <laughs> you know what I mean? He old, old Jock, Jock, uh, Jock, Jock, something. No, Jock, not Jock Steen. What is it? Something Jock. Was it actually Jock? His last name? Jocky Scott. Jockey Scott, of course. What else? Jockey Scott. All right, thanks for that, Mark. Yeah, something low key and not so highbrow after the immense uh, Derek Adam <laughs> podcast. All right, guys, time for a lie down after that. We'll leave it there and we'll be back with you very soon. Leave that in.